Welcome to The Inside. As winter turns into spring, behind the scenes in Hollywood this week, there were unmistakable signs of new life. In California, maintenance crews were spotted working on the Disneyland Railroad this week as theme parks prepared to open their gates again in April. In New York City, movie fans poured into theaters again and Hollywood was heartened when Warner Brothers animated movie Tom and Jerry generated $57 million at the worldwide box office, hinting that millions of families are ready to get out of the house and have plenty of pocket money for popcorn. On the production front, the major studios have begun ordering hundreds of hours of content for theatrical and subscription platforms like HBO Max, Disney Plus, and Netflix. So after living in a year-long horror movie, the Hollywood community is writing a comeback story racing into what could turn out to be the busiest production year in its history. At Warner Media, home to this year's highly anticipated Matrix 4, Godzilla vs. Kong, and the musical In the Heights, all available in cinemas and on HBO Max, our guest insider today leads an A-team of professionals working behind the scenes there. Tony Driscoll is Senior Vice President of Emerging and Production Technologies and Data Services at Warner Media. He's responsible for Warner's technical investment in innovation and advancing the art of the studio's legendary filmmakers. He is a veteran of Warner Media's parent, AT&T, and the Walt Disney Company, and he serves on the AIS Board of Governors. He joins us from Los Angeles. Welcome, Tony. Hey, it's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Also with us is our co-host for this series, Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us from Brussels, Belgium. Good evening, Wim. Good to see you guys. Uh, gentlemen, it's, it's, it's great to have you. Tony, uh, you're one of the busiest guys in the business. Thank you for making the time and coming on the show. The last time we saw each other in person was almost exactly one year ago this week at your office at Warner Brothers. So much has happened. What does the lot look like now? Uh, well, the lot's actually pretty busy nowadays, but it looks very different than it did a year ago. You were actually one of the last meetings I had in my office, Jim. Um, the vast majority of our office workers are still working from home, but productions are back on the lot. Uh, it's actually worked out fairly well in that the additional space on the lot for things like parking lots and common areas that were uh, you know, housing all those office workers are now being used to spread out productions and all the related teams so that we're following social distancing and safety protocols. As for me and my team, we're all still remote. We have been for a year. I think we're probably going to be here a little bit longer, but we're excited for things to start to open back up here this spring, and hopefully by the end of the year, everybody's back on the lot, and uh, we're excited to be there. As a manager, do you feel that everything is just as effective? I mean, you're not together, but you're getting your tasks done. Do you find the productivity of your team a constant and acceptable in, in a remote working environment? You know, it's funny. When, when this all first started, I think productivity went up because everyone was just so anxious about what had just happened. You know, we all went home. It was actually almost exactly a year ago on that fateful Friday. We all thought we'd be back in a couple of weeks after we bent the curve and did all those things. And of course, that all seems pretty naive now. But People were kind of on this adrenaline high, I think, for several months. Uh, everybody I talked to, whether it's here at Warner Media or other places, where they were just kind of running on adrenaline, trying to get through with kids at home and doing work and working way too many hours. And so, from that regard, you know, people were were doing a lot. I think we're we're finding ourselves settling in a little bit more now to a to a routine. You know, there's there's aspects of of things where it's helpful for everybody to be in a room and be on a whiteboard and things like that. And I think just the 
the social part of it, people really miss too. Just, you know, getting to be around other people. I think we forget what that's like. People like, you know, walking to lunch together and doing those things. And there's an intangibility in all of that that I think a lot of us miss. But when it comes to just the day-to-day work, a lot of it actually is pretty darn productive. And I think we're going to have to find ways to accommodate certain individuals that, that want to be remote. I think we're, we're going to find ways to make that work. Do you think this last year has brought out your best qualities as senior management, Tony? Yeah, well, I'd say for me, the, the amount of the hours that I'm working in this past year exceed what I've done in a long time, just to try to make sure that we're keeping everybody productive and over communicating, it feels like a lot of time just to make sure that everyone's staying in touch with one another and that everyone's feeling okay. The other challenge, you know, just on the personal front, and I'm sure anyone who's leading teams right now feels it is the people that work on our teams have a lot going on in their personal lives right now because of all of this. And we have to be mindful of that and show a little bit of grace on all fronts. And as an employer, you kind of want to demand what you can uh, from people when when there's when times are tough, but at the same time we're we're just trying to be as as respectful and as sensitive to people's personal lives as we can be, and and that's a level of kind of personal management that we weren't probably thinking as much about before. But boy, I'm sure tuned into it right now to make sure that everyone's feeling okay. Yeah, I think it's we we are busy with so many more things than before, kind of thing, right? To your point, because when you coach a team or when you you want to bring a team to a certain mission. Uh, there was a certain way of doing this, right? And we all were well trained on that. But now the team is scattered around the world. Now, you know, you, you have to find different ways of collaborating. Uh, the, the market has changed. How do you motivate people in some country? You know, you want to add more of them. In other countries, less of them. So I think the diversity of the, the things you're dealing with is more complex, I would say. So I think it's an interesting challenge. And it's interesting. Uh, I mean, many of us, you know, enjoying is maybe not the right word, but but at least see it as an opportunity to get stronger at, at doing things in a different way. But but I think we are building a way of working and, and driving, you know, coaching our teams, uh, which I believe in, in a year, two years from now, will create new opportunities, which, which, like you said, right, you mentioned it before, Tony, we got people now saying, I'm going to stay at home, right? And I'm going to stay far away from the office. And that's what I'm going to continue doing because it works for me, right? Which before, and that, that wasn't, you know, often an option. Myself being, you know, the last 20 plus years traveling, five days a week now, you know, I've not been out of the country for the, the, the last year. A very different way. And, and and you can see still things work, but but it's in a different way. I think motivating troops, things like upskilling, things like how do you get people engaged, all those things is different. But but I think it's, it's a new world and it's a world to stay, I think, you know. It sounds as if many of these uh, conversations are, are really morphing into something that looks a lot more permanent. I'd love to ask both of you, Tony, we were we were mentioning TikTok a year ago and, and how innovative and clever and short those messages are. And obviously, Wim, you're in the big screen business and the audiovisual business. Are we at a point here where we we need to worry less about what platform the consumer is using and just making sure that when they choose a cell phone, a tablet, a flat screen, or they go to a movie theater, that they're getting such a fabulous experience that they want to come back to this this brand. When we'll throw it out to you first. Ideally, the consumer shouldn't care, I would say, right? So, so in a perfect world, we want to have the content to flow to any platform. Now, that's easily said. Uh, if we want to have great uh, content, but great quality, shown on great quality and, and being listened on great quality, of course, technology plays a role here. So 
But I do think that um, the consumer will decide on this. I think we can put things left or right. What we see is that the consumer and the consumer is much more visible these days, right, in making those decisions. And if he wants to see it on the big screen or he wants to see it at home or he wants to see it on his tablet, he's going to make those calls. So I think we have a, an interesting challenge or an opportunity there as, as technology companies of trying to make sure that that content can float. So we talk about, uh, let's say, how that content can convert from one platform to the other. Now, if it can go from 2K to 4K with one thing, high frame rates and all those things. So depending on the technology you have available, the equipment you have, you should be able to get the benefit out of that. Yeah, well, one, I, I agree with everything that, that Wim was just saying too. We, we just need to stay abreast of all of these things and to try to take full advantage of every one of those new technology sets to make sure that we're, we're sort of designing for the full feature set that it can bring to the customer. But at the end of the day, they have full agency and choice and people will let us know where they want to be. And we just need to make sure that we're, we're working our way to the right platforms. Well, what's what's interesting is that you are, because of HBO Max, if the consumer's at home and want to watch a movie tonight, you're engaged with them. If they are dying to get out of the house and the kids want to see a movie on a Saturday uh, or a Friday night or have a date, you'll be connecting with them at the movie theater. Uh, it seems as if you're, you're building an interactive or a connection or a relationship with your consumer that is pretty intimate, right? Yeah, and that's the, the, the whole strategy that we have right now is centered around direct consumer relationships. If you look at what we're doing with HBO Max, you know, we, we want to have that direct fan engagement. We want to be able to understand what their preferences are. We want to know what gets them excited. And we want to be able to service them in any way that, that they're interested in. So it's like, you're exactly right. Um, it's, it's really fun now for a company like Warner Media to have those direct relationships and to have that the intimacy of sort of knowledge of what people are interested in so that we can be serving them in, in whatever way they want. I think this future state that we're kind of moving toward is just making sure that we're meeting the fan wherever they want to be in whatever form they want it to be in. Our job at, at its core is still making the best content and telling the best stories, but we want to show up for the consumer anywhere they want to be. Our guest insider today is Tony Driscoll of Warner Media. When we come back, we'll discuss how technology is shaping a new generation of filmmakers and how they may reshape entertainment. But first, this message. The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced service and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 90,000 projectors installed globally, over half of the world's cinemas are illuminated by Cineonic. Visit Cineonic.com and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow, today. I read a quote uh, James Cameron has quoted the other day as saying, storytelling is storytelling. You play by the same narrative rules always, but the technology is completely different. I don't use a single piece of technology that I used when I started directing, right? That's pretty interesting. So how fast does the technology change in experiences? Well, in number one, what he's basically saying is core to all of this is storytelling, right? That's the business we're in. And regardless of the platform or how you're doing it, your studio is legendary for its storytellers. And yet the technology is something that you're constantly changing. How fast and how much are you investing in equipment and how does that all work and why is it such a priority for a studio like yours? 
You know, it's funny. You're right in that storytelling has been very similar for a long, long time. But the, there's a couple of interesting things for me, I guess, in that some of these new technologies that are coming out are making that process more efficient in a lot of ways. There are also things like virtual production and sort of the ethos behind it, where it's it's more agile in its development cycles than traditional filmmaking allows people to kind of rapid iterate, you know, a story in ways that that traditionally don't often happen. And it's it's interesting too as we think about sort of storytelling, new technologies, and a new generation of filmmakers, and a lot of them have come up as gamers. And in interactive formats, and these new technology sets are kind of merging between those two worlds. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that bleeds into the way people tell their stories, the technologies that underpin the production of those stories. But also, I think if you fast forward a few years, you're going to start to see convergence between traditional passive linear storytelling and these interactive formats. For me, that's a really kind of exciting theme over the next few years. Now, Wim, you have an entire R&D department. You have 50% of the movie theaters in the world have your technology in them, 90,000 screens worldwide. You're constantly investing. What technologies are you investing in to show Tony's movies from Warner Brothers that uh, excite you? Well, I think it's uh, investing in technology is always uh, be on the lookout, right? So so you have to take some, uh, I would say, them calculated risks. But at the moment, the things which is is definitely important is we talked about the experience economy uh, is about how can we elevate the experience. So, for instance, from uh, the the projector side, um, the laser illumination is is a big thing today, right? How do we get brighter pictures, more vivid colors is a big thing. And then, of course, immersive sound, right? And those are special on the technology side. And there's, there's tons of ways on how we can augment that, how we can add to that. And how we can make sure that the story, which you know is built with studios like Warner Media, how that that can get as live as it was intended uh, to the consumer, to the moviegoer. So I think it, it's a constantly battle of finding out new technologies, but also making sure that technologies are affordable, right? So so it's not always finding the best and the greatest, but how can we make sure that it's affordable so it's scalable across, for instance, many cinemas? The next 12, 18 months are going to be incredibly busy do you do you get a sense of what people are going to want to see at a movie theater versus what they would rather sit on their couch and engage with and i think of things like uh, the queen's gambit which was an investment of multiple nights but i got attached to the characters and i really wanted to absorb that and i wouldn't go to a movie theater to see six episodes uh uh, or seven at a, at a theater. What what are you learning when you get a chance to look at some of this data? What what what's interesting to you? Boy, that, that that's the question everyone wants an answer to right now for sure. And I think it's still such early days. Over the course of this year, I think we'll all find uh, you know find clearer answers to that. Your point around like episodic is an interesting one, just in that you know with so much going into streaming right now, a lot of people do really enjoy the idea of like, once I've gone through the mental process and emotional process in some cases of choosing something I want to watch, I want to invest in it for a period and people tend to uh, you know, fall into episodic and they want to binge and, and just know that every time they log in, they're going to the next episode, the next episode. Whereas features are, you, you have to kind of go through that emotional process, then you only get to watch it for a couple of hours. And it's an interesting kind of a dynamic when you're inside a streaming service that I think all of us just as people kind of feel for the you know theatrical experience, obviously it's all oriented around films. 
but then as we as we come back online and so much is available in streaming services, I, the big question, honestly, you know, what types of films and genres resonate best there and what types of things are going to want to get people out of the house again and have that night at the movies and, and that kind of communal experience? Uh, I, I think there's some indications to suggest that some of the big, you know, event type movies are the ones that get large groups of people out and some of the... Um, some of the other formats are, are doing fairly well on streaming, but we, you know, we're, it's still early days. So Tony, we had a lot of time now to be at home, right? Watching content. And what do you think the, the fans will be missing going out to the movies and the cinemas, right? What are the feature films needing to do to get people back to the theaters? Well, I do think a lot of people miss the, the social and communal aspects of the movies and, and making a night out at the movies, something special. Uh, you know, right now it's convenient to just tap the play button on a device and, and sit down and, and watch at home. But that, that's a very different experience from getting everybody in the car and going out to the movies and, and getting the popcorn and, and having that kind of special moment with your friends or family. I think we talked about it a little bit uh, before, the idea that we're all trying to figure out what types of movies are the ones that motivate people in this future state to get to theaters. Um, we're working through all of that. I think for us, things like uh, these big event films, Godzilla versus Kong, uh, the big spectacle types of films are really exciting. I think people want to get out into theaters and see those films like the matrix four. I suspect you're going to see a lot of people wanting to go into theaters together and, and sort of witness a film like that 20 years later. And there's so much excitement in the fan base right now that people are going to want to do that together. Uh, so, you know, by and large, I think, I think we're going to find that the movies are going to come back strong. People are going to be excited to get back out there and we're going to be excited for them. Yeah. No, no, I can hear that very much so. So, so if I think about the trends which were there, let's say, before COVID, right, uh, and COVID all hit us, if we think about 2021 and, you know, us getting out of COVID moving forward, are those trends accelerating, which we saw before that? Are they slowing down? And, and what do you think, what does it mean for the uh, movie-going experience today? Yeah, well, in terms of slowing, I think we all sort of saw what happened of any, anything that was location-based kind of ground to a halt there as we all moved to uh, being home-based for quite a period of time there. Uh, and the same goes for the production side of our business. Anything that was on location or on set was in a similar boat. But those physical constraints, you know, catalyzed a lot of innovation and accelerated a bunch of trends toward digital and mobile, as we just kind of talked about. At this point, I think we're all pretty familiar with remote collaboration tools like Zoom and, and all the purchasing behavior that's moved into e-commerce and food delivery and all of those things are probably going to persist. But in terms of you know, the content, our games business did very well in 2020 as more people were at home and, and going online and playing games. HBO Max, from the time it launched until today, has grown stronger every day as more people are, are streaming than ever. Uh, but in terms of the movies, people are already starting to get back into theaters. At the outset, Jim mentioned Tom and Jerry. The numbers are really strong there. We think people do want to get back out and into theaters. I think what's going to be interesting as we move through 2021 is this, the amount of data that we're all going to capture as you're seeing a lot of tentpole features showing up in streaming services and in theaters at the same time. And as the country opens back up and the world opens back up and consumers have those options, it'll be fascinating to kind of see which types of movies and which genres resonate and which ones get people excited to get back into theaters versus maybe habits have shifted um, for some types of content to streaming. I don't think anyone knows the answer there quite yet, but we're all very excited to, to investigate that. Does crisis beget innovation? Definitely. I, like the, a lot of these things that, that we started to institute this past year 
were on the horizon, but people just resisted them because it was sort of the way things had been done. A lot of the in-person work that we're now doing remotely, people, uh, you know, when they had a choice that they'd rather be there in person, but what we're finding now is that a lot of things that we thought had to be done in person can be done fairly effectively remotely. I mean, everything from writer's rooms to editorial and, and, and everything in between, all of those things had to be done in a certain way. But I think we're finding now that a lot of those tools are going to persist going forward, which is actually kind of interesting too, because it allows us to to work with talent that maybe weren't always geographically proximate to their productions. And so that, that I think is an interesting outcome of this too, is just this democratization and, and openness to talent from lots of places that we think we can work with um, quite collaboratively and, and productively uh, in, in ways that, again, we just you know, historically didn't think were possible. Tony, you joined the studio from the corporate strategy position at AT&T. What technologies were you think were important when you joined the studio and, and what are the things interesting to you on technology side? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, I was at AT&T and corporate strategy and was at Disney for many years before that. And so many of these trends that we're talking about now are things that we've been talking about for a decade. I can remember 15 years ago talking about cord cutting and the move to online and streaming and the compression of margins on the MVPD side as we we're looking at uh, affiliate fees to cable companies getting higher and higher every year and passing that on to the consumer or, you know, compressing the margin of the MPPD and what are we going to do? And, you know, fast forward to 2020 and we're building out AT&T's 5G millimeter wave technology on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank and thinking about how we can use that for productions to move workloads around without wires. Uh, we're thinking about formats that are centered around real-time rendering and the ability to kind of use that core technology in various mediums to share assets between mediums, that's manifesting now for us in virtual production in a big way. Data science is a big one, too. The fact that it was a, it was a theme at AT&T, we're getting increasingly sophisticated within Warner Media around data science. And it, it runs the gamut, really, from traditional business functions like marketing and budgeting and forecasting and pricing, all the way to creative applications of AI and machine learning. What about AI? What does AI do? Well, AI is another big one where it's it's such a broad term and it can tackle lots of things for lots of people. I mean, there's the idea of voice fonts where you can train an AI based on an actor's utterances to be speak for that actor, which gets into interesting sort of use cases too, where you can more scalably have interactive experiences with people if the AI can kind of convincingly uh, use a person's voice. Uh, some of the technology like GPT-3 right now is really interesting where it's it's creating text using the AI and its ability to generate character dialogue or, or tell stories that you can read up on online. There, there's just a ton going on around that right now that I think is exciting. And when you start to kind of put those things behind virtual characters and combine that with the level of sophistication coming out of the game engine world right now, and you get into this very interesting future state where the combination of those technologies, I think, are going to come together and, and unlock a whole bunch of interesting new use cases and experience types. When we look back on this in four or five years, are we going to say, is there any silver lining? Are we going to be able to say, as far as organizations and companies getting clear-headed about mapping their futures and getting everybody on the same page that, hey, we're all in this together as a company. We, we better figure this out. Or we, you know, there's not a future for us if we don't make these changes. Is that a possibility? Do you, do you see a silver lining in all this, Tony? 
Well, it's sure if, if anyone had any level of complacency or you know too much inertia in the system, it sort of shook all of us out of that frame of mind pretty darn quickly. So, you know, Wim sort of mentioned this earlier too. I, I think it, it caused everyone to kind of open up their eyes and get very thoughtful about what mattered, how we motivate people, you know, what to be focusing on, what the priorities are, and letting go of a bunch of things that we probably thought mattered before, but does it really matter now? You know, we've got people that are that are working pretty productively from remote locations and maybe that's okay. Um, I also think the financial pressure that this pandemic caused on companies uh, was good for discipline too, just so that everyone can get down to exactly what matters. And you have to make some hard choices that you probably should have been making along the way, but maybe you didn't because, you know, the top line was, was good enough. But when you've got that kind of pressure, it, 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 uh, it really helps you kind of focus. I mean, some industries have been growing quite a bit, right? And some other industries have been very much, uh, I would say, um, negatively impacted by that. So it's a very, it's not, I mean, the, the, the human suffering is across the world the same. I, I, I get that. But from a business point of view, so, some, I look at Zoom as an example, right? The company has been, you know, has been skyrocketing in, in a situation in a, like this where other companies, you know, have been having very tough. So, so it's very different where you are, uh, I believe. So it's not one of the same. But I do believe that, that at least one of the silver lining is that it, it brought people uh, out of their confidence uh, because you know there was a huge growth opportunity, or there was a very different way of working needed, and they had to rethink themselves. And I think from a sustainability of businesses, uh, that that's that's a good thing to be honest, uh, because it forces us to to really go deep, and and make sure that that we build to last in a much more profound way than we just take it for granted that the yesterday world is just going to continue for the next 10, 20 years. Right? This has shown that it isn't in different dimensions and. And, and that's, I think companies get stronger out of that, I believe. I, I think it's interesting that the great thing is through this experience is that we all find ourselves in a business that the consumer seems to highly value, right? The storytelling uh, process. There probably are going to be a fair number of businesses that maybe don't find uh, consumer support after this. And that's not, that's not our worry here, but it is interesting that, uh, People tuned in to watch football this year. They are watching programs on Netflix and HBO Max and Disney Plus. And I'm assuming when the movie get theaters uh, are open, there seemed to be a lot of demand for people wanting to get back into movie theaters. So the great thing is that we're in a, a business that seems to be relevant to uh, the population. And therefore, are you bullish on the next five years for our business, Tony? Yeah, incredibly. I mean, you said it. There, there's, there's so much consumption of content right now, and there's so much good content that's out there. I mean, there's just the volume is amazing. The quality bar, just because there's so much competition, is getting higher and higher. Uh, you know, the it's funny there. On the one end, people are trying to get more efficient with budgets for certain types of content. But on the other end, I think you're going to see budgets are going to get bigger and bigger. Uh, with some of these big premium shows in the streaming services to attract eyeballs that way. So as a consumer, I don't think there's going to be a better time to be engaged with content. You know, the challenge we had this year for us, because we had so much, uh, you know, just economics wrapped up in the theatrical business. And when theaters were closed, we just had to sort of grapple with that reality. But there was no shortage of attention on the content itself. And in the streaming services, very popular games and all these other formats, so I, I'm pretty bullish on where this is all going to go. We're seeing good traction with Max. I think there's just going to be a, a ton of really good content for people to engage with. Tony, we really appreciate you 
taking time uh, to be with us. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to be here. Wim, thank you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Our quote of the day comes from the Associated Press story this week. In New York City, J.M. Vargas bought tickets to see three movies in one day, Minari, The Last Dragon, and Chaos Walking. When the reporter asked him why three movies in one day, he said, movie going to me is like going to church, and I've been waiting a year to go back to church. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Wim. And as they say on the Warner Brothers lot, that's all, folks. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Pilsucker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardi. Our next Insider on March 30th will be Gretchen McCourt, president of Women in Entertainment. This is AIS.